Today's scripture reading is from Acts chapter 18, uh, starting at verse 1. And if you um, are using the Pew Bible, um, that's going to be on page 927. I'll give you a moment to find that in your devices or on, on, um, in your physical Bibles. All right. Please follow along as I read in your silently. <laughs> after, Paul, after this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth, and he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of, of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And when he went to see them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, your blood be on your own heads, I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titus Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord, together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul believed, were baptized. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent. For I am with you, and no one will attack you or harm you. For I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. May God bless the reading of his word. Pat will now introduce our speaker for today. Crossbridge, it is my privilege and honor to introduce Dr. Eckhart Schnabel, the Mary F. Rockefeller Distinguished Professor of New Testament Studies at Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary. Dr. Schnabel is a respected biblical scholar and theologian who has authored numerous books and articles on topics such as early Christianity, missions, and the book of Acts. He is widely recognized for his expertise in the historical and cultural background of the New Testament, which has enriched the understanding of many students and scholars. Furthermore, Dr. Schnabel has served as a pastor and missionary in various countries, and his passion for sharing the gospel and equipping others to do likewise is evident in both his academic and personal ministry. Today, we are honored to have him share his insights from the Book of Acts with us. Please join me in welcoming Dr. Eckhart Schnabel. As a sinner, saved by the grace of Jesus Christ. Uh, and um, so we will, uh, I was given the task of explaining Acts chapter 18. Uh, you are very courageous for working your way through the book of Acts to preach through biblical books, uh, both of the Old Testament and the New Testament uh, is a challenge. It is easier to preach on the Sermon of the Mount 
It is easier to preach on Paul's epistle to the Romans. But in uh, the book of Acts, we learn how Paul, how Paul experienced the reality of God uh, uh, in his everyday ministry, how believers in Jerusalem and other congregations experience uh, the grace of God uh, in uh, uh, their uh, uh, everyday worship and life uh, with uh, God. Uh, so this uh, chapter in uh, Acts chapter 18 uh, is the final episode of Luke's report about uh, the church being established in Europe. Paul, after his conversion outside of Damascus, had uh, worked for 10 years uh, in the province of Cilicia, which is southeastern uh, Turkey. Uh, the uh, area uh, where there was an earthquake uh, just recently. He had worked with Barnabas for over a year in uh, Antioch in Syria, which is Antakya, uh, one of the most severely hit cities in the recent earthquake. As a matter of fact, in the city of Iskanderun, uh, just half an hour drive north of Antakya, a Turkish pastor and his wife perished uh, in uh, that uh, earthquake. And I can assure you there are not many Turkish pastors. So the church in Turkey uh, uh, certainly needs our prayers. And then Paul had worked on the island of Cyprus and then in what is today uh, Turkey uh, before God called him uh, to cross over to Europe. And so in that uh, uh, section uh, Luke narrated the establishment of the church in Philippi, in Thessalonica, uh, in uh, Berea, uh, then in Athens, and now finally in uh, Corinth. Uh, the mission in Corinth took place from about February of the year AD 50 to September AD 51. Uh, by that time, Paul had been a missionary for 17 uh, years. Uh, just a few remarks about the city of Corinth. I don't know whether any one of you has been there. There's a little village uh, today, but there's a large archaeological site. The city of Corinth was placed strategically between central Greece and the northern peninsula called the Peloponnese. Uh, the city had minted coins since 600 BC. Now, in terms of Chinese history, that is not very old. Uh, and uh, as uh, you and I, I'm, I'm a European, I'm a German, uh, as uh, you, the Chinese and the Germans know, uh, for Americans, uh, uh, history is what happened maybe 200 years, old, uh, 200 years ago. Uh, my parents, when we were back from the Philippines in Germany, attended a high school in central Germany that was 800 years old. Uh, now, the teachers were younger. 
but uh, of course, Chinese history covers a, a long span uh, as Greek history as well. And so uh, Corinth was an old uh, city. It was uh, renowned for making pottery, especially vases uh, called Corinthian vases. Uh, it had metal manufacture. Uh, it was uh, famous for an alloy known as Corinthian bronze. Uh, there was also carpet uh, weaving. Uh, when the power of Rome was on the ascendancy, Corinth led an alliance of Greek cities uh, against Rome. Uh, unsurprisingly, that alliance was not successful. They lost the war, and the Senate in the city of Rome decided that Corinth would need to be destroyed, uh, which happened uh, in uh, the year 146 BC. And so for over 100 years, uh, the city of Corinth mostly laid waste. Uh, a few people continued to live there. It was then Julius Caesar... Uh, in the year 44 BC, that he re-established Corinth uh, as a city. Uh, he re-founded it uh, as a Roman colony, meaning uh, he put military veterans there, 3,000 of them, uh, and uh, also freed slaves in order to control from this place uh, the eastern Mediterranean. And uh, Corinth flourished uh, very quickly. Uh, the elite seemed to have been Latin-speaking uh, because in the excavations uh, that were done over the last uh, 100 years or so, uh, from the first century, most inscriptions are uh, in uh, uh, Latin. Uh, some buildings were restored. New buildings were established. There was a large a stoa, a portico, a building with two stories. Uh, it was 164 meters or 540 feet long, uh, the largest building uh, in uh, Greece. When Achaia was organized as a senatorial province in AD 44, just six years before Paul arrived, uh, Corinth uh, became the capital of uh, the province. Roman Corinth had 80,000 inhabitants. Uh, and if we add uh, the number of people living in the towns and villages controlled by Corinth, we get to about 100,000 people. The theater that you can still see today, although it is very dilapidated, uh, uh, the theater could seat 15,000 people. The most important deities worshipped in the city were Apollo, Aphrodite, and Poseidon. Uh, the Latin-speaking elite was involved in the emperor cult, where deceased emperors were worshipped as uh, divine. Uh, the uh, Egyptian cults of Isis and Serapis were also popular in the city. And then there were Jews uh, who had been living in Corinth uh, uh, since when? We do not know exactly, but uh, there was a uh, synagogue. Uh, we know more about the church in Corinth than about just any other church uh, in uh, the New Testament period. Uh, because Paul uh, wrote two letters to the church in Corinth. 
Why did he write these letters? Because the church in Corinth was in trouble. After Paul left, problems started. Most of the problems were started by the elite members of the church, those who had education, those who had money. Uh, uh, virtually all the problems that Paul has to deal with in 1 Corinthians uh, were caused uh, by these people. But that won't concern us today. Uh, uh, this is just uh, looking ahead in a sense of what happened to this church uh, after it was established uh, by uh, Paul. Uh, I, I think a good way to understand Acts chapter 18 is to look at what God had been doing. And so we will be speaking about God's sovereignty. God's sovereignty and Paul's co-workers. God's sovereignty uh, and the Jewish community in this city of Corinth, and God's sovereignty and political troubles, the political authorities. So first, God's sovereignty and Paul's co-workers in uh, Corinth. Uh, Paul arrives from Athens, uh, where he spoke before uh, the uh, Grand Council of Areopagus, uh, and uh, explain that he is not introducing a new religion. He is not introducing a new God. And then chapter 18, verse 1, he left at Athens and came to Corinth. Uh, if uh, uh, you visit Turkey today, you can drive the distance uh, from Athens to Corinth. If you leave early in the morning and beat Athens traffic, uh, you can do that drive in under one hour. Uh, I do not know exactly. I could have found that out because on the way there, uh, uh, I visited a few other places, and so I took a little bit longer. Uh, um, and uh, so... Paul arrives in Corinth. The very next thing uh, Luke mentions is that uh, he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla. So Aquila and Priscilla, there was a Jewish couple whom Paul would have met in the local synagogue. Uh, Aquila, uh, Luke tells us, was from Pontus, which is in northern Turkey, on the Black Sea coast. And of course, we know on the northern end of the Black Sea is Crimea and uh, the Ukraine. Uh, so this couple uh, uh, had come from Rome, but they had originated, they'd originally lived uh, in uh, Pontus. Uh, this was a couple who was involved in the tent-making business, verse 3. So evidently, this family had a tent-making business in Pontus, in Rome, in Corinth, and eventually, with Paul, they went to uh, Ephesus, where they also had a tent-making business. In the ancient world, you could, just, uh, you could not simply go to a city uh, and go to the town hall and say, I want to open a business uh, and uh, uh, I do my own thing. You don't have to get involved. No, you had to belong to a local guild. Uh, they controlled uh, who uh, could establish a business. 
Uh, and so that scenario indicates that the family of Aquila and Priscilla, uh, that uh, they uh, were connected uh, in, uh, and were running a tent-making business in several cities uh, of the Roman uh, world. At the same time, it was a missionary couple because they worked together with Paul. Uh, Luke doesn't tell us that they became converts. Luke tells us about new converts in Corinth. He gives us personal names of new converts, which Luke in the book of Acts very rarely does. Often he reports simply that people were converted, but here he gives us personal names, indicating how important this church was for the ministry of Paul and for the growth of uh, the church. And so uh, Aquila and Priscilla evidently were already believers in the city of Rome, which they had to leave. We'll talk about that uh, a little bit uh, later. So they were loyal to Paul and uh, to the gospel, demonstrated by the fact that on one occasion they risked their necks for Paul. That's what Paul himself says in Romans 16 verse 4. This event probably took place a little bit later in Ephesus, according to 1 Corinthians 15, 32. They hosted a house church in uh, uh, Corinth. We learn about that in 1 Corinthians 16, verse 19. And then eventually, when they returned to Rome, a house church was meeting in their house in Rome as well. <clears throat> Romans 16. Uh, excuse me, Romans 16, verses 3, 4, and 5. Now, sometimes Priscilla is mentioned before her husband. Uh, in our chapter uh, in verse uh, 26 in connection with uh, Apollos uh, who arrived in uh, uh, Ephesus. Uh, he spoke boldly in the synagogue when Priscilla and Aquila heard him. They invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. And the fact that there, Priscilla is mentioned before Aquila, seems to suggest uh, that uh, when this couple instructed uh, Apollos in uh, uh, more authentic uh, uh, theology about Jesus, uh, that uh, 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 the lady Priscilla was uh, the leading uh, teacher. Uh, at the same time, Paul can also reverse the sequence. Uh, he can also uh, speak of Aquila and Priscilla, like in 1 Corinthians 16, verse 19. But we certainly have here a couple where both Aquila and Priscilla can teach others and instruct them in uh, the gospel. Uh, Luke tells us that Paul approached Aquila and Priscilla because they were practicing the same trade. Uh, they were uh, tent makers, uh, probably to be understood as weavers of tent fabric uh, or craftsmen sewing together sun awnings of linen for private customers seeking protection from the hot Roman sun. Uh, they did not make uh, tents for outdoor activities like going camping. 
uh, uh, I don't know the history of camping. I only know uh, people were too busy in the Greek and Roman world to do camping. Uh, and uh, so they used these tents. Tents were used by the military, uh, but uh, they were also the fabric used for tents was also used to produce uh, sun uh, awnings. So how do we see God's providence, God's sovereignty? Paul arrived from uh, Athens. He did not know anyone in Corinth. He had never been to Corinth. He goes to the synagogue, and lo and behold, there is a couple who are evidently Christians who had just arrived from Rome and who are willing to give him a trade, allowing him uh, to, we would maybe say, earn his rice or earn his bagels uh, to earn a living, uh, a place where he could stay in, uh, a place where the earliest believers perhaps could meet, uh, and co-workers uh, as a missionary. So the presence of Aquila and Priscilla provided Paul with fellowship, uh, uh, with a house, with a trade, uh, and uh, co-workers. And then we read in verse 5 that Silas and Timothy came uh, back from Macedonia, where Paul had planted churches in Philippi, Thessalonica, and uh, Berea. And their arrival, Luke tells us, uh, allows Paul to devote himself exclusively to uh, preaching. Now, in chapter 17, we had learned uh, that Silas and Timothy stayed behind in uh, Berea. In uh, 2 Corinthians 11, Paul tells us, uh, when the brothers who came from Macedonia uh, they supplied what he needed as he was doing missionary work in Corinth. And in Philippians 4.15, we read, uh, Paul writes to the Philippians believers, moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia to go to Athens and Corinth, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. The church in Philippi supported Paul's missionary work with finances very shortly after the church had been established. And so Silas and Timothy, they bring financial support from Macedonia, which allowed Paul to devote more time uh, uh, and energy to preaching and uh, teaching. At the same time, uh, the arrival of Silas and uh, Timothy expanded his missionary team. Uh, they were experienced people who for the last uh, three years or so had worked uh, with Paul. Missionaries, evangelists, pastors need fellowship, co-workers, Financial support. As believers in Jesus, we all need fellowship for personal encouragement and for the work of the gospel in our congregations. Why do we meet every Sunday? For being strengthened in our faith as our knowledge of the gospel is deepened. We meet because we are encouraged when we are discouraged. 
We meet every Sunday for being able to mourn with those who mourn and to rejoice with those who rejoice. The work of the gospel happens when believers meet together, knowing that they are the temple of God, which is still in the process of being built. On the foundation of Jesus, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. As pastors and teachers and everyone is involved in this building process. This congregation, as all congregations of believers, belongs to God. The God is God's temple. The congregation does not belong to the pastor or to the elder board. The church, the congregation always belongs to God. And in this building, we are all co-workers in God's service, as Paul states it in 1 Corinthians, a letter he writes to the church in Corinth in chapter 3, verse 5. It is God himself who builds, but he uses us as co-workers in this building activity. And so God, in his sovereignty, gave to Paul as co-workers in Corinth, Aquila and Priscilla, Silas and uh, Timothy. And very soon, uh, a new believer, Titius Justus. God in his sovereignty has given you here, pastors and elders, ministry leaders. And uh, so this text indicates that the, the, the pastors, the ministry leaders that we have, the, the, the workers, the co-workers in the church, other believers around us, is due to the sovereignty of God. Yes, a church in an elder board may choose a pastor, but in terms of the candidates uh, that are maybe brought before the church, in terms of the pastor chosen, in terms of the elders, this is God's choosing. This is the sovereignty of God, that the congregation has the people the congregation has. And so we respect the sovereignty of God as we respect and support the leaders uh, that God uh, gives uh, to us. Secondly, God's sovereignty and the Jewish community in Corinth. Verse 4, every Sabbath, Paul reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade, persuade Jews and Greeks. That is a summary statement. Paul, every Sabbath, that means for several weeks, uh, he attended synagogue services. Paul was a trained rabbi. He had studied with Gamaliel, the most famous, we might call him today, university professor in uh, Jerusalem. We know that from later Jewish writings, where Gamaliel is, uh, Gamaliel is mentioned. Diaspora synagogues did not have full-time people. They did not have rabbis. They did not have priests uh, for, for training, for education. They were reliant on people who just happened to be there or come by. And so when Paul arrived in a new town which had a synagogue, he, of course, would be invited. Uh, there we see the sovereignty of God. Uh, that in Corinth, as in Athens, in the other cities that Luke had mentioned where Paul worked in, there were synagogues where he had a natural connection. 
You see, as a Chinese traveler in the first century, you would not be invited to preach in a synagogue. As a German, I would not be uh, invited to attend or preach in a synagogue. Now, today, they might be different. Uh, if there's, uh, I don't know, there, are, there have been Jews living in mainland China. Uh, I do not know how many there still are. And if they hear there are Chinese people who believe in the Messiah, they might want to know more uh, who that Messiah is and how you argue for that and what that uh, belief means for your life. So today that might be different, but not in the first century. So Paul had natural connections. As you have natural connections when you go to uh, any place in the world where there are Chinese people. Uh, whether they speak Mandarin or Shanghainese or another dialect, uh, uh, you are Chinese, and they are Chinese. There's a common history, and so it is easy for you to talk to them. There we see the sovereignty of God. Now, Paul did not stay limited to speaking to Jews in the synagogue. Verse 4 tells us he spoke to Jews uh, and uh, Gentiles. He was leading discussions. Uh, 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 this is how we could translate the uh, term that is used here. Uh, he was leading discussions in the synagogue every Sabbath. So Paul, in the sovereignty of God, had a natural, logical place uh, were to proclaim the gospel. But then we read in verse 6 that opposition came uh, at some point. They at some point opposed Paul and became abusive. And he shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, your blood be on your heads. I'm innocent of it. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. So at some point, the rejection in the synagogue became absolute and he could no longer teach. These opponents uh, made Paul's continued ministry in the synagogue impossible. We learn later that uh, these Jewish local opponents had access to the Roman courts. They had access uh, to the Roman governor. So they were some members of the elite, uh, of the local uh, elite in the city uh, who were Jews uh, and who made uh, Paul's uh, ministry uh, impossible. And so Paul performs a symbolical action. Uh, he shook out his clothes uh, as a sign that he now separates from them. He explains what he is doing. He says, your blood be on your heads, uh, meaning that any consequences that come from their rejection of him and thereby the rejection of the gospel of Jesus is on their heads. He is not responsible for their eternal fate. He declares, I'm innocent. I'm innocent in terms of what may happen to you in the final judgment. Uh, uh, not because they reject Paul per se, but because they reject the Jesus uh, that he uh, preaches. So in God's, this is also part of God's sovereignty. God let this happen. 
These people were not converted, but they opposed Paul. One door closed, but then another door opened. Verse 7, Paul left the synagogue, went next door to the house of Titius Justus, a worshiper of God, a God-fearer. So he was a Gentile who had attended synagogue services. And there he had Paul, he had heard Paul explain the gospel. He had uh, become uh, converted. His house was right next door. Why does Luke mention that? Uh, maybe Luke mentions that to indicate Paul had not completely given up on Jewish evangelism. He was right next door. Jews would not have to go far to hear him teach. He was right in the next house. Now for the Jews in the synagogue uh, who opposed him, that would have been a provocation that uh, Paul continues right uh, next door. And then Luke mentions further conversions. Crispus, the synagogue leader, his entire household believed. So being the president of the synagogue, again, that was not a full-time job. Uh, that was an honorary appointment, uh, which indicates he was a member of the local elite, uh, that he would be appointed to be the leader of the synagogue. He is converted, his entire household, meaning his wife, his children, and then servants and slaves he may have had. Because the word household or house is not only mom and dad and the children, uh, but uh, there might be grandparents living with them, uh, maybe cousins, servants, and slaves. Yeah, I think uh, you Chinese, uh, you know from Chinese culture uh, that a family is the extended family. We Western people, we are all wretched individualists. We do our own thing. Uh, we don't think uh, uh, how our behavior impacts uh, maybe uncles and cousins and uh, grandparents. Uh, but in uh, the first century, they did. Uh, and uh, uh, then uh, Luke remarks, many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed and were baptized. They made a commitment. Uh, to Jesus. So one door closed, the door of the synagogue, but Jews were continuously converted, even the leader of the synagogue and other Corinthians uh, were converted as well. So here we see the sovereignty of God. And then we see the, sovereign, uh, the sovereignty of God in Paul uh, receiving divine confirmation. Verse 9, one night, the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent, for I am with you. And no one is going to attack and harm you because I have many people in this city. Luke gives us these words of the risen Jesus in direct speech. When Luke gives us something in direct speech, he highlights its importance. The Lord appeared in a vision to Paul. Uh, because uh, in many of the previous cities Paul worked in, he had to live in a hurry. In Thessalonica, he evidently ministered only for three months, and then the opposition forced him out. Uh, before that, he had been in Philippi, uh, 
Uh, and there he and Silas were arrested, put in prison. And then they left after only a few months. And then they went to Berea. There uh, Paul was forced out, uh, uh, where he then went to uh, Athens. So that has been Paul's usual experience, even in Asia Minor, in uh, Pisidian Antioch, in Lystra. In Iconium, he was even stoned and uh, left, lying on the ground for dead. And so Paul fears, as the opposition had become fierce in the synagogue, that he would have to leave town. Maybe he was even afraid uh, that here, uh, there would be bodily harm. And so Jesus assures him that no bodily harm uh, would afflict him. In God's sovereignty, Paul could preach and teach in the local synagogue. In God's sovereignty, Paul found a new venue when he had to leave the synagogue. In God's sovereignty, leading members of the Jewish community were converted and Corinthian Gentiles were converted. And in God's sovereignty, he received divine assurance uh, that uh, uh, he would not have to leave and make new plans. Uh, verse 11, Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half. Up to this point, that was Paul's longest stay in a city. Sometimes one door closes and other doors open. Finally, God's sovereignty and political authorities. There were problems in the city of Corinth. Verse 4, Claudius, the emperor Claudius, had ordered all Jews to leave Rome. Uh, Claudius issued two edicts against the Jews. In the city of Rome, there lived around 40 to 50,000 Jews at the time. Uh, that's the best estimate that we have. In the first edict, uh, uh, he commanded the Jews to adhere to their ancestral way of life and not to conduct meetings. They were allowed to live in Rome, but they were not to have meetings. And then there was a second edict. Eight years later, in the year 49, one year before Paul arrives in Corinth, ordering the expulsion of Jews from the city of Rome. Luke tells us that this is why Aquila and Priscilla left Rome, came to Corinth, because all Jews uh, were ordered by the emperor to leave the city. A Jewish, a, a Roman historian, Suetonius, uh, tells us, he wrote a small biography of Claudius in Book 25, Section 3 and 4, uh, that there were disturbances at the instigation of a certain Christus, which is a misunderstanding of the title Christ, Jesus Christ. So evidently, uh, believers were doing missionary work in Rome, and this uh, created havoc in the, in the synagogues. The emperor heard about it, and the only way he thought he could pacify the city was simply uh, 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 kicking out all Jews from the city of Rome. Emperors could be pretty ruthless. And so the edict of Claudius caused Paul, caused Paul to find um, uh, Aquila and Priscilla in Corinth, gave Paul new co-workers. In God's sovereignty, the believers from the city of Rome settled in other cities. 
birthday is to help establish churches. And then there were problems in the city of Corinth, verse 12 and 13. While Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews of Corinth made a united attack on Paul and brought him to the place of judgment, the so-called Bema, where uh, judicial verdicts were rendered. This man is persuading the people to worship God in ways contrary to law. This Gallio was the brother of uh, Seneca, a Stoic philosopher who was the teacher of the young emperor Nero. He had uh, made a quick uh, and sustained career. Uh, he had a reputation for being honest, uh, a gentle disposition with a distaste for flattery. And so leading Jews of the city of Corinth probably tried to accuse Paul before the local city magistrates. That didn't work, and so they went to the next highest court, uh, which uh, was the court of the uh, governor. Uh, we do not have time to go into the accusations made against him. Maybe similar to what Paul was accused of in Thessalonica, uh, where he was accused because he preached Jesus to be king, uh, that he uh, instigated a rebellion against the emperor and his rule over the world. That they tried to turn the world upside down. That phrase is sometimes like earlier used in uh, contemporary Christian hymns. But Christians don't try to turn the world upside down. That was an accusation against Paul. Christians respect political authorities. Christians didn't try to depose the emperor or the local magistrates. They lived as good citizens, as Paul defends in Romans 13, 1 through 7. And so this proconsul Gallio, evidently he had done his homework. He probably knew Jews from Rome. And so he said, the questions uh, you want to uh, discuss are Jewish questions. That is not my concern. So he dismisses them. Now, this was highly significant when he dismissed them saying uh, that these are Jewish questions uh, uh, that, are, uh, uh, that come up when Paul preaches the gospel. It means that Gallio sees no distinction between Jews who live according to the Old Testament law and the followers of Jesus. And he asserted that being a follower of Jesus was not a criminal offense. That this was okay. And that they are really part of the Jewish movement. And the Jewish movement had protections. Jews could meet every week. Other groups were not allowed to meet every week. But the Jews were, per edict of the emperor. And so, as these local Jews wanted to harm Paul, uh, the whole thing backfired. And instead, he was giving pol official political protection, which was valid because it was uh, the... Uh, a statement by the governor of the province, this was valid not only in the city of Corinth, but in the entire province. And so we see again, and with that I close, the sovereignty of God. Paul was able to deal with all these political developments. 
He was prepared to die for the gospel, but he was also prepared to defend uh, himself and his missionary work. In 2 Corinthians, he says, I've been exposed to death again and again. Five times I've received from the Jews the full punishment of 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I've been cold and naked besides everything else. I face the daily pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak and I do not feel weak. But this is Paul working and speaking in the context and supported by God's sovereignty. He relies on God. He relies on Jesus. And this is what this text invites us that we do as well. If you allow me to close with a word of prayer. Dear Lord, as we learn, uh, as we read and study and learn from your word, we learn from you, the Almighty God. And as we see your power, your sovereignty, your authority active in Paul's life in big and small ways, we are so encouraged that uh, you are with us as you have been with Paul. And whether we see you in a dream and receive your personal insurance or not, you have promised to us that we're three and four gathered together in the name of Jesus. You are present. And your presence is more precious than anything we could have in this world. And so we pray you would go with us in this uh, coming week and help us to experience your presence, your sovereignty, so that we serve you with joy. Amen.